Hey, what's up, everybody? This is The Greatest Show on Dirt coming to you live from the Sweet Bee Studios. Today is Sunday, July 29th, and we are getting down to the wire of the trade deadline, which I believe is Tuesday. And my guest on the show, you'll remember him from a few months back, none other than John Roberts, the professor, our own Greatest Show on Dirt MLB insider. Happy to have you on the show, John. How's it going? Hey, what's up, Keenan, man? I'm just excited. It's my favorite time of year. It's like Christmas without the snow and ice. That's exactly what it is. Like, all of a sudden, as soon as, like, Manny Machado got traded, all of a sudden, like, my phone is, like, inundated with these notifications about people going here and people going there. And one of the trades, like, I'm most excited about, which as soon as I knew we were talking on Twitter, I want to get you on the show because I had to know what you thought about this trade. The Chicago Cubs picked up Cole Hamels. Um, 34-year-old lefty. He played uh, in Texas with you, Darvish, for, I believe, a couple years. Uh, the last time he pitched at Wrigley was a no-hitter against the Cubs before he got traded from the Phillies. And I've got to know, what do you think of this move? I mean, obviously, I like the price because uh, basically they picked him up uh, for a guy that they were probably going to have to move off the 49 roster anyways in Butler. And you know, a, a prospect in Raleigh Lacey who shows, uh, you know, some interesting numbers, shows some good numbers, and is an interesting story, but he's not a top 30 prospect, at least not yet. And, you know, in return, and a bunch of money, too, kicked into the deal. And in in, in return, they got, you know, at a, I think at a bottom, at a bottom level, bottom return, I think you know that you got a consistent starter, and I think you got a consistent number of innings. I know that there's a this feels reminiscent to Justin Verlander a year ago, and I know that those comparisons are out there. And I think that that would be like the absolute best outcome would be that this is like Justin Verlander 2.0, and the Cubs really catch lightning in a bottle, uh, or Randy Johnson when he was traded to the Astros all those years ago, where they really just kind of caught a really good starter who was having a bit of a tough year. Moved him in, you know, moved him into a situation where he was contending and then just kind of all the everything kind of fit into place. I mean, we've seen that happen. We've read that story before. And I think that that there's a chance, of course, with Cole Hamels that that could happen. But if it doesn't happen, it doesn't mean that the trade was a bust because I think what they really got, what they really needed was somebody that Joe could run out there every five days and feel good about. Because, uh, you know, as a Cubs fan watching this team over the last several years, we, you know, the offense is finally there, right? I mean, mm-hmm. for year after year after year, we've seen them score runs and do things, but there's always been that yeah, but, you know, uh, that yeah, but when it came to the lineup. And this year, I, I guess you could say there's a yeah, but with Anthony Rizzo, but I don't think any of us expect that Anthony's going to struggle the whole year. Nah. And, and then there's the injury question. So really, the lineup is there. And I think the rotation is what was holding this team back. Um, you know, luckily the bullpen's been as good as it has been, but I think this rotation was really holding the team back, mm-hmm. you know, with the, the questions around Darvish and his health and, and really his effectiveness. And then the, the Chatwood, uh, the whole Chatwood debacle. Uh, so I think at a very minimum level, Cole Hamels shares that up, right? I mean, I, th- I think you know what you're going to get. I, I don't think that you're going to get the Cole Hamels that we've seen like the last nine or ten starts. And I think whatever he is, that's going to be better. Uh, I think that's going to be better than what they were getting out, out of, of Chatwood. So I think on that aspect of it, 
it's a win because it basically gave up nothing to do it. And then I also think the biggest part of it is the mental aspect for the players because Cole Hamels is still a big name in this game. His history is his history. His past is his past. And he's bringing that to the locker room. And I think for everybody, that's going to be a shot in the arm. A lot like the Quintana trade was last year. Oh, yeah. A lot like the Aroldis Chapman trade was the year before. It's that shot in the arm to the rest of the locker room. Like, hey, hey boys, like, we're here. We mean business, and this is what we're going to do. Um, so I, I really I think it's a win, 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 because they didn't give much up to get in, and they were able to get enough of the salary paid down to where it doesn't put them in a limbo uh, with the luxury tax where it would affect them in free agency next year. And w- I mean, honestly, with the way, w- w- you know, he's replacing a guy in the rotation who was walking nine, at, uh, nine guys every nine innings. So, I, I mean, on- honestly, uh, I don't, if there's a downside to this, I don't see it. Uh, I don't know that it's going to be just a Verlander like or Randy Johnson like, but I think that it's going to be, I think at the end of the day, we're going to look back at the end of the season and really see that trade as being something pivotal because I think it is. Yeah, because I think the impact he'll have will be on the numbers. Like you had mentioned that you don't think we're going to get the Cole Hamels from like the last nine or ten starts. And I I agree with that 100%. Like his home road splits are very drastic. Like you're talking like a 6-8 ERA on the road or 6-8 on the home and then like a 2.8 ERA on the road but one of the things that you said that I like the most is the mental aspect with the players you've got this Cubs team that historically they always play good in the second half and I think a lot of that has to do because you know as a player that Theo and Jed and Joe they've got your back and they believe in you guys a hundred percent and yeah they didn't get him for a whole lot at all which is awesome but no matter what happens with this Cubs team um Theo and Jed just continue to go out and get guys. And the mental aspect, I think, not only can carry through with, like, as a whole with the players in the dughouse, but I always look at you, Darvish, as this very fragile situation. Because on a pure human being level, he's been through a ton of crap over the last, like, couple years. You're talking about having to go down with Tommy John. Um, My impression of you, Darvish, as he is, and I know like a lot of the Chicago media has called him soft, that he can't handle the big market and those sorts of things, but he's been through so many things coming over from Japan to the U.S., and he's put all this pressure on himself because he wants to do the best, and I don't doubt his competitive nature whatsoever, but when your body, and I, I kind of thought about you, Darvish, to Ricky Williams when he was first drafted by like the New Orleans Saints, and he got hurt early on and Ricky was like this number one draft pick who was supposed to carry the franchise and you're looking at you Darvish who now comes into Chicago well even rewind a few years back he has to have Tommy John in Texas Texas paid a lot of money for him comes back then gets traded to the Dodgers and fails the Dodgers in game three and game seven of their World Series and then on top of that now comes to this Chicago Cubs team with I can only imagine how much pressure he's feeling now because yet again his body has betrayed him in the sense because he's having tricep problems and then he's having to deal with all these mental aspects of oh my gosh like can I do this because I know at one point before he was on the disabled list Anthony Rizzo was like going out to the mound to talk to him like hey we know it's the fourth inning like you can keep going through this 
And part of it, I hope, is what Cole Hamels brings to this team is some sort of familiarity with you, Darvish, to where you can get back off the disabled list and have someone in his corner that's more familiar with him than what anybody in the Cubs clubhouse is because they were both in Texas for so long. I mean, honestly, like I look at you, Darvish, as being the potential of being having the potential to be the biggest acquisition made at the deadline. Yeah. Because you know, obviously we can look at the numbers and, and we can play the tape and we can see what's happened up to this point. And, and I don't think you has been right the majority of the year. Um, and you could bring up the World Series, but it's easy to forget how he pitched up until that point. And it's like, and that's the key. If you can get that guy who pitched for the Dodgers the second half and then the first two series of the playoffs last year, the mm-hmm. guy who pitched for the Dodgers, that you Darvish, uh, you can win with that guy. And, you know, but that's, I mean, that is the ultimate lottery, right, is which you Darvish are the Cubs going to get? And is he going to come back this year? Is he going to pitch? Is he going to pitch well? Is he going to be healthy? Is he going to be ready in the playoffs? Is he going to pitch well in the playoffs? None of us know this. And I think that's why the, the, Hamill, the Hamill's acquisition is all that more important because mm-hmm. it's like buying yourself a U Darvish insurance policy. Oh, yeah. And, and, and not just for the rotation's sake, but for the bullpen's sake, too. Because when you have two, three guys in the rotation – who aren't pitching out of the fifth inning or aren't pitching out of the sixth inning with regularity over the course of a 162 game season, that is taxing on a bullpen. Oh yeah. And you see it every year. There's a bullpen like the Los Angeles Dodgers in 2016, a bullpen that pitches well all year round, all year long, and then just runs out of gas. I mean, we saw that in the, in the NLCS in 2016 against the Cubs. Uh, those guys were just done. They were out of gas and they had nothing left and they came in the games when they really mattered and, and they were, you know, old Miss, old Miss Hubbard with nothing left in the cupboard, yeah. tossing everything and anything up there. And I think that's what you risk when you have starters exiting games early, um, which I know that, and I think that, that obviously the, the management of the Cubs, they've seen, I think they've looked in a crystal ball a little bit and I think that's why they've managed the bullpen the way they have all year with instead of throwing out their best seven guys, they just throw out nine guys and they just work through them and and up and down between here and Iowa, up and down between here and Iowa for that very reason. So that when it really comes down to it and it all matters, the guys who really matter aren't worn out. So I think, you know, with, with you, that's the ultimate question. Uh, for this team. But like I said, I think he has the potential to be the greatest acquisition at the deadline, meaning that if he comes back pitching strong and pitching, like we know he's capable of pitching, there's not an arm out there in the trade market that you could get. That's better than that. No, no. There's not a guy that you could really feasibly get. Who's better than that. So I think if you're Theo and Jed and you have that, you have that in house that, and you've played so well, basically without him this year, your first place in the division basically without him uh that does kind of give you a lot of uh kind of give you a lot of confidence when you're talking trades with other teams that you don't have to rush out there and do anything that doesn't make sense yeah and i'm beginning to wonder if things like 
you, Darvish, and uh, obviously, first of all, yeah, what you said with Joe and them, what they've done with the bullpen, because you had mentioned like the uh, the Dodgers bullpen in 2016, and we also saw it with the Roldis Chapman in the World Series. And by the time he got out there in sure. Game Seven, like he had nothing in the tank, and like I begin to wonder. And this sounds like super, super cliche, but I wonder if some of this stuff just couldn't be a blessing in disguise. Like the things that are happening to you, Darvish, to get him up to this point, yeah, he hasn't pitched a whole lot. And yeah, what you said, the Cubs have done this well up to this point. You've got a lot to be happy about. And during this season, I know um, Anthony Rizzo starting to come around offensively. Chris Bryant's missed some time with the shoulder. And then you've got you Darvish. And I look at you Darvish and even Chris Bryant, and those are two guys that have been hurt some this season and haven't had to go through the daily grind of a full 162-game season. Yeah, because they've been injured, but also like it's allowed them a little bit of rest time. And I'm wondering if this is going to be like that very cliche blessing in disguise because as a Cubs fan or Joe Madden is the manager, they would never choose to not have you Darvish or Chris Bryant for a little bit of their season. But the fact that they're still doing it and have the best record in the National League, I think the Chicago Cubs are poised for the perfect storm to where if you get about into September and you've got you Darvish back and healthy, Chris Bryant back and healthy, you've got a lot of upside with a few important guys on your team that are really fresh. Like we know Brandon Morrow had a hell of a postseason last year because Dave Roberts used him a ton. And yeah, he's, he's on his second stint on the DL right now. But I feel like these guys, and tell me what you think, could be really prime for a September move. And to, in my eyes, they might be the NL favorites. I mean, I think that's it. I mean, I think that uh, it really takes the dog days out of it, right? Uh, you know, uh, all this time that they get on this side of it. And, and when you adjust the calendar and really look at it, uh, Assuming things go well, by the time they're in full swing, really uh, September for everybody else is going to feel like August for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to be, you know, their body is is going to be um, a month behind their body. All that fatigue, that wear, that tear is going to be a month, a month and a half behind everyone else. And I do think going into a playoff run that bodes well. And I think the key is you just get there, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you just get to the playoffs. You just get in. And, and I think the rest is really just going to kind of, the rest is just going to kind of kick in. But when those natural, when that natural fatigue kick, kicks in and, and we see it in October every year, mm-hmm. I think there's a good chance that these guys are going to be a little bit fresher than everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's not mysticism. That's just science. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the 162-game season, especially when you had all the rainouts at the beginning of the season, and then before you know it, you're playing doubleheaders in July when it's 104. When the Cubs played the Twins, what was it, a, maybe last month, they had guys leaving the game, Twins, because they were like of heat exhaustion because it was so hot on the field. It's days like that that'll really drain a person. Right, right. And that's – so that is one aspect of the calendar because um, obviously we know that – the Cubs are going to play more games in the second half than any other team. And, 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 and that in itself is a double-edged sword um, because A, it does give you a chance to really, really, really turn it on. But it, it, it also, can, if you're in a good groove, but it also is very taxing, um, which is, you know, Joe catches a lot of heat, I think, from the media and, and Cubs fans in general with the way that he works the lineup and not always putting the same guys in every day mm-hmm. and not having a consistent lineup. And honestly, that's why Joe does this. 
uh, is so that he doesn't grind any one guy or any two guys uh, into nothing. And in fact, he's like the he's like the anti Tom Thibodeau, right? Like he doesn't just grind guys into nothing until they're nothing. And I think that's that's what Joe brings to the table. And I think the way things are set up with Bryant and with Darvish and with Morrow, as long as, as long as they get healthy, and I know that's a big F, but as long as they get a healthy, I think it has a chance to be just a huge, gigantic shot in the arm for this team. Mm-hmm. And I think that it says a lot about the team that they are where they are anyways without them. Yeah, because it's it's allowed like Kyle Schwarber to come out of his slump, have a productive season. Javi Baez is playing on a level we've never seen him offensively. And by God, Jason Hayward's hitting a baseball. He's going opposite field, and every time I see something go to left, it makes me so happy. And uh, it's like you said, it may be a big if, but if those guys get healthy, the whole all Major League Baseball just better be on watch. Important question I have for you. Okay, so if you Darvish gets healthy, so let's say you Darvish is healthy and he's pitching by, let's say, the beginning of September or even mid-August. Let's just say he gets, let's say, four starts before the postseason were happening. And in those four starts, let's say that we don't really see a change in you Darvish. And you Darvish is still having the struggles with command, walking a little more guys than he should and giving up home runs. Is there any way... That if you don't, if you're even a little unsure of you, Darvish, on the Cubs management standpoint, that you go with a rotation of Lester Hendricks, Quintana, and Cole Hamels and leave Darvish out. Well, there's there's a lot of variables there. I think Cole Hamels is one of those variables because mm-hmm. although I have confidence he's going to pitch well, uh, he hasn't pitched well, you know, uh, for a couple months now. So. If you, you know, if that comes down to your option between Hamels and Darvish and they're both not pitching well, I think you got to go with Darvish just because of the stuff yeah. at this point. So, I mean, there's variables, but the way I kind of look at it is, you know, what if you paired you up with another starter, um, be it Quintana or maybe be it Hamels mm-hmm. with the idea of, I'm going to run one of you guys out for the first five innings. And then I hope to get at least three innings out of the next, um, you know, so maybe you could start Hamels uh, and, and let him pitch into the fifth. And then regardless, just know the sixth and seventh, you know, the sixth, seventh and eighth, you plan on running Darvish out there and letting him just give you what he's got for three innings kind of similar to what the Dodgers did with Maeda last year, mm-hmm. where they moved him to the pen, but they, you know, but Dave Roberts had him pitch two and three innings and they would usually uh, align that in such a way in which he was falling behind maybe one of their weaker starters. Um, and then that way, if things go south in the first or second inning, you just roll them out there and there you go. Yeah, I think that's a phenomenal oh. idea. I actually thought about that. I think I was driving in the car, like something kind of close to what you had just said, because, you know, if you've got guys like Quintana or even I know Hendricks sometimes having a, has having a problem going that deep into games. If you pair those guys and you end up giving guys like Morrow and Strope and all these valuable bullpen pieces this extra time, I think that is a phenomenal idea because, one, 
that could take some pressure off you, Darvish, because if we know he's dealing with a little bit of the yips, he's going to come at that a little bit different, knowing, hey, I've only got to go four because my best bud Cole's going to pitch the back half of that. And we know Cole Hamels can do that because I'm under the impression that he's, you know, you got a guy that's a former NLCS and World Series MVP. He doesn't shy away from those big moments and even said in his post-conference, in his um press conference after he became a Cub, that that's where he's most comfortable at. So Cole Hamels is coming in with the mentality of, you can put me in those situations. And yeah, you may have really just struck gold on that one to say that, hey, let's pair a couple starters and maybe you pair a guy like you, Darvish, who could start the game. And then you bring in a guy like Cole Hamels to start like the fifth inning or something. And even though that's not an ideal spot for a starter, I believe you could put Cole Hamels in that position because I think he's got the guts and he's got the experience and the versatility because he's been in these heavy postseason situations where you could do that to him. And then on top of that, depending on who the Cubs are playing in the postseason, I feel like you really mess with the team's head at that point because it's so ingrained in you when you play baseball. Hey, let's get to the relievers. Let's get to the relievers. You know, we're really going to dig at this starter, rack his pitch count high. But, you know, if the Cubs are playing like the Phillies in the postseason and all of a sudden the Phillies, they wear down you, Darvish, they got another starting pitcher coming at them. And then on top of that, you might end up with a fresh Brandon Morrow who could, who's going to throw 100 and close out the ninth and Pedro Stroper Dunsing, who are pretty good relievers. I love the idea. And I would not be surprised if Joe Madden did it. Yeah, I mean, and, and just imagine if you have a team like the Dodgers where they've got so many left-handed hitters and they mm-hmm. just put them one in a line and they go from facing, uh, you know, they go from facing Hendricks or facing Darvish to all of a sudden having to face Cole Hamels oh, yeah. coming from the other side with a totally different look with totally different stuff. Uh, and, and, and they can't, you know, you can't just double switch your way out of it because you're not talking about one reliever, uh, you're talking about guys going to pitch multiple innings. Yeah. So literally, you could turn a lineup on its head. <laughs> Absolutely. Because the names you've got, like we know what you Darvish can do. We've seen Cole Hamill's road numbers this season. You've got John Lester, who I think no, his regular season's been pretty good, obviously. But no matter what, like I love John Lester in the postseason. I always compare him to the undertaker. Like I've always got to put wrestling analogies in there. And John Lester in the postseason is like John Wayne in the wild West. Like he's just always gunning and getting the job done. Yeah. And I think at this point, you know, regardless of the, and John Lester proved that last year, I mean, he he didn't have a great season, but then come postseason, he was nails. Mm -hmm. And I, and I also believe that they proved that the come postseason, there's two guys in that rotation. You can absolutely count on. And that's John Lester, and, and, and that's Kyle Hendricks. Yeah. And then Quintana pitched really well in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously, and I think, and I and I honestly think Cole Hamels is that same kind of guy. Yeah. I think that he, he's going to pitch well in the postseason. I think, like Justin Verlander, like John Lester, uh, he could have a seven ERA, but I think if you put him in game two of an NLDS, I think he's going to pitch well. A hundred percent. That's that's his makeup, and I think back kind of back to the Hamels thing. I think above and beyond all else, that is what they acquired. So mm-hmm. and it and it it gives them ultimate all you know it gives them endless options with what they want to do in the postseason, and I think that it just goes a long way towards getting there. But I think mm-hmm. that you know, I think that you Darvish out of the bullpen. 
could be one heck of a weapon. Yeah. A lot like Kenta Maeda was, uh, you know, last year for the Dodgers. Yeah, I think the Red Sox did that with David Price, too, and he was throwing money. Right. To just give him an inning or two and just let him go up there and toss it and not worry about, you know, not worry about if he's throwing enough curveballs and not worry about uh, if he's going to have enough stamina to last because of the triceps, the arm, and everything else. Just say, you know, hey, Buckaroo, go up there and give us 40 pitches, your best 40. And see where it gets you. Yeah. I think that th- I think that that really could be something beneficial to both Darvish and the Cubs. Yeah, because it just gives like you Darvish a way to get out of that rut he's got in his head. And yeah, the versatility sure. and the depth of this. Like if your playoff starters were and and if you were to do what you said and to to like pair these starters together, you run. You've got Darvish Cole. John Lester and Kyle Hendricks. But then, yeah, like you said, you've still got, still got Jose Quintana, who pitched good in the postseason. And then you've got Tyler Chatwood, who is the weirdest pitcher <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. So when I went to Wrigley a few months ago, I watched him pitch. And he would, th- he would go against one batter, and you would look at his stuff and go, holy crap, like that kid is on. And then he'd walk the next guy on four pitches. He's <laughs> – I don't know what to he's think like, of him. His he's stuff- a four-man's – He's a poor man's Jake Arrieta. I, I guess he is because I remember when Jake Arrieta he, had problems he, walking guys. It was awful. But he, he he's like Jake without the ability to pitch effectively wild and, and, yeah. and wiggle his way out of it. <laughs> he's, he's a true wild you know, thing for sure. He reminds me of a character that could be on like Major League, like opposing like Charlie Sheen, where you put this guy on the mound <laughs> and he's going to like walk 100 guys or strike out a few of them. You really don't right. know what you're getting with him. Right. He's got, and he's got Rube Baker jumping all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> Rube Baker right. reading out like lingerie catalogs to him and all that stuff. Like I thought about that with Tyler Chatwood. Like maybe he just needs to read lingerie catalogs on the way to the mound. He'd be like, "This bra is built for her comfort and pleasure," and then he'll just throw a strike. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean that's the thing, and that's the frustrating thing is is that uh, if you, I saw the stat, and I'm trying to remember how it was laid out, but basically, if you took out innings in which. Tyler Chatwood walked uh, one or more batters. His ERA is like 121. Get out of here. So, so when he doesn't, right? Yeah, I mean, he when he's when he's throwing strikes, uh, when he's throwing strikes, he's elite. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the and the thing is, it's his stuff is good, but it's not like. It's not like the kind of stuff that's like, ah, I control it or I can. It's not like he has so, such ridiculous movement that mm-hmm. it goes where it goes. I think all of, you know, uh, all of that is, I think part of it's in his head, and I think the other part of it is just mechanically, I don't think he repeats his delivery. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't repeat his delivery over and over and over again, and if he did, he'd be a much more effective pitcher. But with that said, um, it's a heck of a weapon to bring out of a bullpen. Yeah. And uh, and I think if he can get his confidence back doing that one or two innings at a time, uh, you know, because when you looked at the roster crunch and you looked at uh, the pitchers that they have in the rotation and you look at the, their position in the standings, uh, they, they had to get Chatwood out of the rotation. And – but I also think that he was the guy most likely to go to the pin and have a lot of success. Yeah. Um, because 
Mike Montgomery, as good as Montgomery is, I think I think all of us can agree he's much better. He's much better uh, as a starter than he is out of the pen. Um, he just he he pitches so well the first two times through through the lineup when he, when he's got his full repertoire, and he doesn't always get to use that in one or two inning situations. So I think the Monty stuff probably plays better, you know, in the rotation than it does out of the bullpen. And kind of the flip side of that, I think Chatwood stuff is going to play really well out of the bullpen. And I think that it might help him fix those yips he's got. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense because I know because Tyler Chatwood's going to start pitching out of the bullpen now. And at first, like, I was kind of shocked by that decision because I thought they would just automatically put Mike back in the pin because he was like a multiple inning guy but that actually makes sense because Mike Montgomery's always pitched well as a starter and just based on everything you said that seems to make really good sense so yeah um okay next on the list Jacob deGrom so outside of the Cole Hamels deal you've got the Boston Red Sox picked up Nathan Evaldi two Tommy John's guy throws a hundred and the uh Yankees got Jay Happ and so I don't understand – let me just – should more teams be pursuing Jacob DeGrom? It seems to me like that's a – he's pitching to a buck 82 ERA. He's a number one starter in everyone's book and probably nearly on every team. It boggles my mind that more people aren't going after him. And I know he would cost a lot, but, you know, sometimes you have to do that. Like when the Cubs picked up Aroldis Chapman in 2016, they gave up Glaber Torres, and we're watching him just smoke baseballs in New York right now. And even for the Cubs, when they had to pick up Jose Quintana, they, you know, sent off Eloy Jimenez. So should more teams be going after Jacob DeGrom? I think that DeGrom is a tough deal to do in season um, because you just it's, – it's, it's mathematics. There's only so many teams that actually have a legitimate chance uh, at making the playoffs and at going deep into the playoffs and winning. So – you chop a bunch of the league off right there, mm-hmm. and then out of that, you have to you have to find a team that has the requisite assets to acquire Degrom. Because if you're going to trade Degrom at his age with his years of control of, of control, mm-hmm. they're not just going to give him away. Uh, it's going to be a Chris Sale like package. And how many teams out there need a starting pitcher are in the mix? are in the mix to get a playoff spot and uh, have a Chris Sale package to give up. I can't think of one. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, because the Phillies or the Braves, they're not going to trade him in division. The Mets aren't going to trade Jacob DeGrom with all this. Maybe if he was a rental, they would. Yeah. But with all these years of control, they're not going to trade him in division. And, and that's a moot point anyways, because the Phillies are Braves aren't going to give up that quote-unquote Claver Torres, Eloy Jimenez, uh, you know, Moncada Kopech-type package uh, to a rival in the division. Because, you know, yeah, they get Jacob DeGrom, but then they're going to get three or four guys on the Mets that are going to kill him year in and year out. Yeah. So that deal's not going to happen in division. So then what? I mean, maybe the Dodgers? I mean, but the Dodgers always get talked about these big acquisitions. But when you really look at it, they all, if they do these big acquisitions, it's always the ones that cost them less. It was Darvish last year and Machado this year, where you're still giving up, you're still giving up pieces, but you're not giving up a lot of pieces because of the control. So I don't think 
I don't think the Dodgers are going to do that deal. And I don't think the Red Sox or anybody else, aside from maybe the Yankees, have enough to get it done. And I don't think Brian Cashman's going to do that deal. Because uh, he's been able, basically, to get all these great pieces uh, the last couple of weeks. And he hasn't given up a single guy who, who had a chance of being a Yankee in 2019 or 2020 or 2021 anyways. But I don't I, – I, so I just don't see it. I just don't see that there's an actual team that exists right now that has a DeGrom package that has a motivation to get DeGrom that can do it. I just don't think that team exists. I think it is a Chris Sale situation. I think it's a deal that if it does happen, you see it happen at the winter meetings. Mm-hmm. But then with that said – when was the last time have you ever seen the Mets go into a winter meeting selling? And as long as they have Noah Syndergaard and Jacob DeGrom, I don't think they're going to sell. Because, um, I mean, honestly, too, if you're going to trade one, you better trade both. Because at that point, you're just doing a complete rebuild. You're yeah. tearing it down. Mm-hmm. And I just don't – I don't see Sandy, Sandy Alderson doing that. And I don't see the Mets doing that. I think that the DeGrom talk is a lot of fun. But I would be very surprised if he actually gets moved. I'm sure there's plenty of teams that are interested. I just don't think there's anybody who can afford him. Yeah, that makes perfect sense because it sounds like, based on what you just said, like the Mets would be selling themselves short because they would be cutting the market down for DeGrom if they traded him during season. But like with the Chris Sale situation, because all the studs that the White Sox got back, yeah, if the Mets, it sounds like what you said, that if they wait till the off season, they would open up their market a ton and could really pull a pretty penny for these guys. But I thought of something when you right. were given that explanation is I wouldn't really mind the Mets to not sell off because I, like I look at a team like the Oakland Athletics – And it happens in baseball. You had the Pittsburgh Pirates break off an 11-game win streak. And even, like, there's there's a lot to like about the Cincinnati Reds offense. With this day and age, based on, I guess, like, advanced analytics and things like that, I still think the Mets, with, you know, a starting rotation of, like, Syndergaard, DeGrom, Zach Wheeler, and uh, Steven Matz, like, if you've got four guys you can rely on to start, with a little bit of Seattle Mariners, Oakland Athletic-esque tweaking, hell, they could be in the run for a playoff spot next season easily if you've got that starting rotation to fall back on. Um, yeah, I mean, sure, if they do stop doing dumb things like signing washed-up outfielders. Yeah, Jonas Sesame, um, this poor guy having double heel surgery. Yeah, well, I, I mean, or Jay Bruce. I mean, Jay Bruce we can uh, – yeah, I mean, or even Curtis Granderson before him. Uh, I mean, they've got what you would call a track record. Yeah. But – but yeah, I mean, I think that because when and when you look at that division, I mean, obviously the Braves are really good and the Phillies are really good, but they're also really young. Yeah. Um, and and the Braves don't have the requisite starting pitching, and the Phillies are kind of, I mean, they're they're kind of a mix between the two. I mean, they've got a, a an okay lineup and an okay rotation, but they're not great. They're not great on either side of the lineup card. So, and, and if the Nationals lose out on uh, Bryce Harper in free agency, I think the, the, the complexion of the Nationals is going to change your law. Uh, and I could see the Mets trading off Reynolds. I could see the Mets uh, making moves for some of the bullpen arms like Blevins, and they've already moved uh, Familia mm-hmm. and 
you know, Cabrera and then Cabrera, the infielder. I mean, they've made those moves, and I think they'll continue to make those moves. But with Noah Syndergaard and Jacob DeGrom, they're not free agents. You've got years of control, uh, and they're worth whether it's well, you're trying to contend or it's at the winter meetings next year, they're worth more to you now, or they're worth more to you then than they're worth to you now. Yep. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Um, what do you think? I kind of want to dig into the um, the Manny Machado move in position players. So when we always get around the trade deadline, the talk of the town is always centered around pitching, and there's not a lot said about acquiring position players. What are your thoughts on the importance of getting a good position player and what exactly, what type of impact could that have to a team like the Dodgers or whoever else? I mean, obviously you're getting a guy that plays every day, right? The, the tricky thing is, you know, uh, most teams that have a glaring need at a position don't find themselves, uh, don't find themselves in a, being in a position to be a buyer anyways. Right. Um, and every once in a while you have the J.D. Martinez, like what happened last year, or Manny Machado that happened this year, because if Seager doesn't get hurt, Machado's not a Dodger. Yeah. Uh, that was just a cast of a cast of faith that that happened. Uh, obviously, Machado in the middle of that lineup transfer, you know, or it transforms that lineup kind of a lot like Manny did, uh, like Manny Ramirez did years ago. Uh, when he became Manny Wood, it just the lineup was pretty good to begin with, and then when you slap Manny in the middle of it, it just transformed that lineup. And I think that Manny Machado has the chance of, of doing that this year, being Manny Wood 2.0. But this, this and, and this is where I mean, really, the Dodgers got one of the best players on the planet, and when you really, really look at it, they really didn't give up much to get him. And kudos to them, and I think. I think that what it did do is it locked out the West. I don't think that there's any other team that's going to come out of the West except the Dodgers. I think that uh, my predictions here today, the Dodgers are going to win the West. Uh, the Cubs are going to win the Central. And then I think that either the Phillies or Braves, I don't know who's going to win the East, but I think that the Brewers and whoever finishes second in the East, is that's going to be your, your wild card team. Mm-hmm. That you can you can write that down. We can talk about it in a few months, and you can tell me how how genius I am because <laughs> that's what's going to happen. Because Manny Machado walked out the, the the rest of the West Western Division. That's what that's what happened. Yeah, that's the biggest take from the Machado trade is that the Dodgers they're taking that division, and nobody else is coming out of that division. And I think that that's huge. And when you look at other bats that are available that may be available, there's not another Machado. Um, there, you know, there's not another Machado. There's not another another impact bat like that. There's murmurs about Bryce Harper, but I just don't think that's going to happen. I don't think they're going to trade him. So, I mean, you know, I, I think that it, it, it's it's one of those situations. You know, you, you need seven guys in the bullpen or eight guys in the bullpen, and you need five guys in the rotation, but you only need one shortstop, and that's why those deals. Uh, those deals don't always happen every year. And I think that's why when they do happen, we can really look at them and and take that in like, okay, that's our one this year. J.D. Martinez was our one last year. You know, Manny Machado is our one this year. And and I think you can take it at that. 
Yeah, as long as Manny 2.0 stays the hell away from the Chicago Cubs, we'll have a pretty good postseason. Uh, you bring up yeah. the Washington Nationals, and <laughs> like there have been rumors, and mostly like it's written in like articles and all this other stuff about the Nationals possibly being sellers. Um, you obviously just said that you don't see them moving Bryce Harper. I think a lot of that stuff out there written is just to get likes and shares and conversation started on Facebook and Twitter so people can yell at each other and be like, that's never going to happen. Is there any world where you see the Nationals, not that even they would sell off Bryce Harper, but do you see them selling off anybody over the next few days or even to the further trade deadline that Verlander got acquired on? Do you see that happening at all? I mean, I think you have to be careful because Mike Rizzo is in a tough spot. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, there's a lot of comparisons out there to the uh, 2015 Tigers and Dombrowski tearing that thing down. Uh, You know, they had been competitive uh, for several years before that. They had been to the World Series. They had been to the ALCS. And they had a great nucleus of players. And then it was just apparent that they were running out of gas. And Dave Dombrowski went out, and, and the first thing he tried to do, because they were middling too. I mean, they were like, they were in that 52 and 50 or 51 and 50 kind of, mm-hmm. you know, a few games out of first, a few games out of the wild card. Then the first thing Dombrowski did was try to go out and acquire. He went and he tried to fix his team. And what he, what he, what he soon there realized is he didn't have anything to fix his team with. The, the, the minor leagues were barren. So then he realized, well, we're not going anywhere the way this thing is, and I don't have what I need down there to make this thing better, and this thing's only going to get worse because I don't have anything down in the minor leagues to come up and replace what's up here anyways. So he made that decision. Ultimately, I feel like that was the right decision, but it did get Dave Dombrowski fired. Mm-hmm. It got him ran out of Detroit on a rail, and I think that Mike Rizzo faces the same sort of thing. The only difference is, is that Fundamentally, this team is not old. Uh, they're still pretty young, and the stars that they have, uh, the stars that they have, are fundamentally young in baseball terms. And with the exception, uh, with the exception of Daniel Murphy and Bryce Harper, their best players are locked in uh, for several years after this one. So, and if you do a complete teardown, because I don't know if you can play that middling thing where you break off a few pieces. Uh, traded a few pieces and then just kind of stayed the course because of what that says to Bryce Harper. Um, I just think that the, the message you would be sending to Bryce Harper, I think it would be tough because Bryce wants to be in the playoffs. He wants to be in the playoffs year in year out. He wants to shine like a star. He wants to get that strikeout in the end of the Cubs series. He wants to get that back. He wants to have his, his chance back in the playoffs and you can't do that if you don't get there because the whole thing gets torn down around you. And I just don't see Bryce Harper for two months being motivated, coming to the park, playing with a bunch of triple A guys because Rizzo tore down the whole thing around him. So I think if you do that, if you decide to do that, then you might as well trade Bryce Harper because you're going to kiss him goodbye anyways. Yeah. So, he's going to be so pissed. I'm going to come I, back. Right. So I guess that's where it is. If you decide that that's what you want, and I guess that's what it really boils down to, right? Your confidence and your ability to bring Bryce Harper back. If you think that he's gone regardless, you might as well trade him and anything else, because if Bryce Harper leaves Washington, you're done anyways. I mean, mm-hmm. sure, you've got Max Scherzer and you've got Steven Strasburg, but the rest of it, you know, 
I, I mean, what are you going to do? Uh, they do have Robles coming up, but that's a tough spot for Washington. That's a tough spot for Rizzo. I'm glad, and I'm glad that I'm not him. But I think that that's what it all boils down to. And, and unfortunately, I think you're going to get them. I think they're going to find themselves kind of stuck in a situation where they're neither here nor there, uh, kind of like the Kansas City Royals were last year. Mm-hmm. And it's easy. It's easy to look back and you know uh, in hindsight and say, well, they should have done this and they should have done that. But they wanted to bring those guys back, and they knew that if they started trading off pieces and making major deals, that wasn't going to happen. But the difference between the Royals and the Nationals are is that the Nationals have Max Scherzer, they have Steven Strasburg when he's healthy, and the Royals have Jason Vargas. So, you know, with with Rizzo, I think the I think the best thing that could happen is if something were to happen and Bryce Harper got hurt uh, between now and the end of August when they can still make trades after the deadline, when they can still make waiver trades. If Bryce Harper were to spend some time on the DL, then it's really easy, right? Yeah. Well, Harper's on the DL. You, you trade Murphy. You trade Matt Adams. You, you trade Kelvin Herrera. You trade Ryan Matson. You just tear the whole thing down. Um, and then nobody in Gio Gonzalez and anything else. Uh, you trade, Dave, you know, you, you trade Davey Martinez if you think that's going to get you anything. <laughs> and if because the Harper's on the DL, what does it matter anyways? And then you don't have to feel face that awkwardness uh, in your relationship with Bryce Harper. But it's a, it's an impossible situation because if they don't make these moves and they don't make the playoffs, you know, he's going to get roasted. And if he does make these moves, he's going to get roasted. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely a double-edged so, sword. And, and it's just but, like you never want to tell like an athlete like Bryce Harper who you're trying to impress and lock up for maybe the next 10 years after this that we're officially done because as it sits right now, the Nationals are about six games back and the two teams in front of them are pretty young teams, obviously, in the Braves and in the Phillies. And all it would take is a losing streak from one of those guys and a pretty decent winning streak for the Nationals, who still have the pieces there, right? So Zimmerman's back in the lineup. Daniel Murphy's hopefully starting to come around because he missed a big chunk of this season. I love Adam Eaton as a teammate, as an athlete, as a hitter. Sure. Um, and I mean, and then Bryce Harper, you know, isn't always going to bat 198. And I think this is kind of the clutch time for Bryce Harper to hopefully lead this team into the postseason. If he can do it, you know, it, it would be huge for them. And I don't think. I, I still think the Nationals can pull out the division, but it's going to take Geo being Geo and like Strasburg hopefully coming back from like the pinch nerve in the neck and things like that. And they just got to get good play from the guys that count. You know, Rendon, I think he's right. out for maybe the next few days. And like those things can still happen. So, but it's exactly what sure. you said. Like it's a lose lose situation for Mike Rizzo. And the yeah, I guess the best thing that could happen is either they win the division or Bryce Harper gets hurt because I'm still completely bum-fuzzled by how this team is still 52 and 52. Like, I just don't get it. Coming into this season, I thought they were going to take the National League and go to the World Series because I just thought that the experience they had as a team getting guys like Eaton back for a full season, and I was like, this just there's too many good things happening here. But then Howie Kendrick gets hurt. And just life happens to guys, and you know people end up getting injured. But yeah, I would. I don't think I would ever sell if I were Rizzo because that 
my like if he's right. damned if he doesn't damned if he does like the best thing he can do if you're right now it's not mm-hmm. the worst situation to be in when you've got Zimmerman back Murphy hopefully starting to hit a stride Rendon should be back soon and if Strasburg can start being Strasburg and stay healthy you're six games out and the two teams are ahead of you weren't expected to be much at the beginning of this season and they're a young team they do not have this down the stretch August September experience that the Nationals have Right, and I and I don't think the Braves have the pitching, and I think you're no. starting to see that show. And you know, yeah, there's the Phillies, but I mean, even I always end up it always ends up going back to the Cubs with me. But you look at the Cubs at the break last year. Uh, I think they were out of the division five games. Yeah, five or five and a half. Time. It was something big. And then they went on a run because the talent was there, and that's the beautiful thing about baseball is that statistically it all comes out in the launch. A player can have the, the best first half they've ever had, and at the end of the year you look at the card and they, they hit the same they did the year before, or flip that, they can have the worst year they ever had in the first half. But then by the end of the year you look at their numbers and they had pretty much the same year they had the year before. Mm-hmm. That's the beautiful thing about baseball is it all comes out in the launch. And actually, sitting here thinking about it, if I'm Mike Rizzo, why not just go out and get you a guy – once you go get you some pieces, actually make some acquisitions that aren't going to cost you much, but that could have a huge, uh, just have a huge benefit to your team as a whole mm-hmm. and really the psyche of your team. Go out and get Matt Harvey. Go out and get Adam, go out and get Adam Jones. Go out and get some of these guys who we know are going to be moved uh, that aren't going to cost you an arm and a leg. And if anything else, make that team deeper and make it more likely that they can go on a run if the Phillies and the Braves start to stumble. Yeah, hundred percent because you get you've got you talk, you mentioned veterans like uh, you know, Matt Harvey and Adam Jones who would thrive under that. Like obviously we've seen Matt Harvey pitch well in the postseason. I remember just watching Adam Jones in the World Baseball Classic, and he's obviously not having a season to write home about this year, but change of scenery is real and you get a good competitor. Yeah. Who, and put them in a situation where they can thrive because uh, it's like what you said. There's a lot of beauty in baseball, a lot of good storylines that are unfolding. And September baseball, it ain't July baseball. And you really find out who the winners are at the end of the year because so many times, like you mentioned the Cubs run of last year, and there are years where these things happen where you've got teams come out of nowhere and all of a sudden they make a wild card like the Cardinals and the Giants. And before you know it, they're celebrating a World Series victory because that's what counts. It's that September ball that counts. And I think that's a great idea to add some guys like that who you know you can get for low cost but who might just – you know, be worth more than the sum of those parts and really perform well. Right. Yeah. I mean, and, and also too, the message that that sends Bryce Harper is like, Hey guy, we believe in you. We believe in you. Uh, and we believe in this team that we've put around you. And when everybody said we should sell, we added to it. When everybody said we should sell, we added to it. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, and and, and it's on you, big boy. Get us there. Yeah, I mean, that's I think it. That, you know, I think that that could be that thing that turns the season around. Um, and there's guys out there like that to be had. Um, there aren't a lot of there aren't a lot of mega blockbuster deals to be made. But man, there's a ton of Adam Jones and Matt and Matt Harvey's on the market right now. Mm-hmm. And looking at these trades that have happened. Uh, I, you know, you get them really reasonable. 
And and I I honestly think the Nationals probably will do that now that I really think it through. And speaking of, you had mentioned the Royals a little bit ago. Mike Moustakis. So we're going to jump back into some NL Central. So the Mike Moustakis trade, he is now a Milwaukee Brewer as of, I think, a couple days ago. I haven't watched him play yet. What do you think of that trade? What do you got on it? I mean, I mean, Milwaukee, I mean, obviously, uh, this is, uh, they're trying not to repeat last year where they just fell out of things and they're trying to be aggressive. And you got to give them credit for that. The Moustakis thing is puzzling to me because of the package that they gave up. Uh, they gave up uh, a guy who has a chance to be an everyday major league player, a guy who has a chance to be in the lineup every day in, in Maverick Phillips. And they give up uh, a, a, a powerful arm who, you know, may not make it as a starter, but has a chance to be an impact piece out of the bullpen and, and um, what they got in return was two months of Mike Moustakis, uh, a guy who, you know, hits for power and strikes out way too much. I think they have that guy. And what you what you're doing by shift, you know, by by shifting your whole infield around, sending your third baseman to play, you know, sending your third baseman to play second base. Uh, and then putting the stockists in there at third is all of a sudden that is going to have an impact on starting pitching and their starting pitching has been a problem to begin with because they've had so many injuries Mm -hmm. that they've had to deal with. And they've just kind of had to piecemeal the rotation together to begin with. And now you're really weakening that team at the corner and you're really weakening that team up the middle because you had an above average defensive third baseman to begin with. And now you move him to second base where he's going to be a below average defensive second baseman. And then you plug your third base with a below, I think we can honestly say Mike Moustakis defensively is a below average third baseman. So now you have defensive liabilities of two positions in your infield. And, and what you gain is Mike Moustakis' power, but I don't know that you, I, I don't know that your benefit as far as you t- when you talk about wins and losses in the overall game impact, I don't know that your benefit is that much greater. And, oh, yeah, by the way, you gave up two really good pieces to do that. Um, and the flip side of it is second base was a problem. Second base has been a problem. You could have went to the Marlins and got uh, Starlin Castro for a bag of chips mm-hmm. and not given up anything. You know, you could have got a real second baseman for a bag of chips for basically nothing. And then if you wanted to uh, take the, uh, you know, uh, take the Moustakis package and add a couple pieces to that and go get a real starting pitcher. Uh, but now I, I don't see the picture coming. If they do something, I don't think it's, if they do something, I think it's going to be like Matt Harvey and, and behind that picture, they've just weakened the defense. So unless there's something here that I'm not seeing, uh, I think it was a bold move and a dumb move. And when you see teams uh, like the Cubs and like the Yankees who are out there making deals right now and they're getting good players and they're, they're getting players who are going to be impactful, and they're giving up nothing to get them. And then you see the Brewers basically give up everything, or not everything, but give up a, a, a pretty sizable package mm-hmm. to get two months of Mike Moustakis. It just kind of leaves me scratching my head. 
Yeah, I'm completely confused. It's like they're straddling the fence. It's almost reminiscent of like what their offseason was. Like they could have easily like at the price that starting pitchers were going for because that's obviously sounds like a need of theirs. When you had Jake Arietta just signed for three years at seventy five million, I think he possibly could have thrived pitching for the Milwaukee Brewers because to me he's definitely a competition guy and he knew that the Chicago Cubs really didn't want him because they had, you know, kind of wanted to go the U Darvish route and Jake Arrieta is a competitor. I mean, obviously, 2014-2015 Arrieta is like just not going to be there anymore. But from like a beyond-the-number standpoint, I, I liked Arietta going to Milwaukee. But the Brewers' whole offseason, they didn't really go after what they needed, which seemed to be starting pitching because you had like Jimmy Nelson who was hurt. And like you've got guys like Chase Anderson. They've been throwing even Brent Suter, who's like normally a bullpen guy. And that's obviously a lacking point of them. And then, yeah, when you mention a move like Mike Moustakas being, like, bold but dumb at the same time, I've never been really, like, huge on, like, these Logan Morrison type of guys who have figured out launch angle and a ball that flies real far to bat 235 and hit 40 home runs because in the postseason, I'm looking at a dominant pitcher because if the Brewers go to the postseason as, let's say, a wild card team and they end up facing, like, the Cubs, well, the Cubs have got good enough pitching to figure Moustakas out and just strike him out. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, he can hit a home run, but that's not a guy I want in, you know, like a clutch situation because you're a strikeout guy. So the numbers tell me, like, yeah, as a regular season, like, I look at guys that bat 230 and hit 45 home runs in the regular season. Like, that's a good thing because you'll produce runs. But then when we get to these winner-take-all games and I need you up to bat because I got a guy on second with two outs, that changes everything now, and I don't like it at all. Well, and could you, if you wanted that guy, could Joey Gallo not have been had for less? Yeah, exactly. Like, like those guys are out there. I mean, you know, and it just, because I'm looking at their death chart right now, their infield defense is so bad um, with, you know, Masakis and Arcia, Mm -hmm. which are, I think Arcia is what he is. Um, you know, he's a, he's a confident, capable shortstop, but in the defensive run save category, he's not, he's not a showstopper. Mm-hmm. And Travis Shaw now is playing second base. He's not a second baseman. Travis Shaw's and, playing and second at, base? Yeah, that's what Holy they did. Holy yeah, That's what I'm saying. That's, I, mean, that's my, I mean, that's my whole point of how they've weakened this team. By putting Moustakis <sighs> on the coin, instead of filling second base, which was their need, they took a third baseman, moved into second base, and now they've made third base weak defensively with Moustakas, and they've made second base weak defensively. They made themselves weak up the middle, and all they get in exchange for it is a, you know, a little bump in OPS. Uh, and, but at, at the end of the day, Moustakas is a guy who is out there. You know, uh, Like I said, I mean, they honestly, they, they could have – they could have went, you know, a hundred different routes and got an actual second baseman mm-hmm. and given up less and then used the package that they used on the stockist to go get a real pitcher. But they didn't do that. Uh, and I mean, you know, I'm thankful they didn't do that, but it yeah. does leave me kind of puzzled. It's odd. Um, I mean, cause look, just right now, like I said, they could have, they could have had Starling Castro, for nothing. I mean, the Marlins would have been happy to pay the freight on that because they had to take Castro back uh, just for money reasons in the off season. But right now, Starling Castro, 
Uh, he's got 336 OBP. Uh, he's hitting 287. He's got eight home runs. He's got 40 RBIs. And basically his uh, defensive run save uh, or his defensive war, he's a wash. So, uh, and he's actually a second baseman. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you have so, to have good defense in those situations because we'll, we'll go back and talk about the Cubs again, but that 2016 Chicago Cubs team was an historically great defense. And you can't, you know, now that you, you know, need to be in a league where you got to keep the ball out of the air and do your best to force ground balls, you got to have guys behind you to field it. And if that's not happening, then you, you're not going to go far. You can't. No, no. I mean, and so, and it's just, seems awful rich for Mike Moustakis for two months of Mike Moustakis. Yeah. It just seems awful rich to me. Um, you know, I, I think that if they would have just played it a little bit slower and played it a little bit more cool, I think they could have went out there and made two trades with what they gave up to make one. Mm-hmm. And came away with a pitcher and a second baseman, which is what they would have needed. Right. Exactly. All right, and back to the exactly. NL Central. So we talked about earlier what the Cubs did, and I'm real curious, like, what else are the Cubs going to do? What do you expect them to do possibly over the next few days? Well, Theo, uh, Theo has a track record, right? On, on deadline day, he always acquires a reliever. Uh, whether it is, uh, you know, whether it's Tommy Hunter or it's, uh, or oldest Chapman or it's Justin Wilson. That's just what this guy does. So I'm pretty confident that on deadline day, uh, they're going to put together a deal for a reliever. Uh, now with that said, uh, a lot of the big relievers that I feel like would have been in player off the market, Britain's off the market, Familia's off the market. Uh, there's not a lot of places to turn if you're looking for somebody who can pitch at the end of the game. And actually, I would have thought that with the injury, the injury to Brandon Morrow and with his medical history, uh, I, I, I feel like that that would have been something really high on their radar to do would be to go get somebody who at least has the capability of pitching the ninth. Uh, but as you look at it right now, there's not a lot of, a lot of those guys who are going to move have already moved. Uh, I felt like Familia was the move to make. Yeah. And uh, Oakland got in there and got him. And as far as Zach Britton, they just didn't have the pieces to, you know, compete with the Yankees. So, you know, is it going to be a guy like Kayla uh, Keone uh, from the Texas Rangers? A mm-hmm. uh, guy who's pitched the ninth, a guy who's, who's got the stuff to pitch the ninth, but can pitch the seventh through the eighth. Uh, if you can do that without giving up a ton, I think that makes a lot of sense. But I don't, I don't know that you can do that without giving up a ton. Uh, or, or maybe Brad Brock. I know he hasn't. I know that Brad Brock hasn't had the greatest year, uh, but he is pitching in Camden Yards on a team that's going nowhere. Mm-hmm. So, you know, maybe a little, maybe a little new life uh, for a guy like Brad Brock, and be, you know could be something that really makes a lot of sense. I know he's got one more year of control left, I think one more year of arbitration. So maybe he's not going to be as cheap as a flat out rental, but I, I do think the Cubs are going to go out there and get a reliever. I just don't know what class or category of reliever they're going to do. And the thing that I would like to see them do uh, is I like, you know, we've talked about, we've mentioned his name a few times, but I'd like to see him jump in on Adam Jones. Uh, he's, he's a rental. He's at the end of, he's at the end of his, 
contract. He's not going to cost you a ton because there's not a ton of teams looking for outfielders right now. And the Baltimore Orioles have every incentive from dealing him and getting what they did. Mm-hmm. So if you could take a uh, if you could take a guy like Sang and Alec Mills and turn that into Adam Jones and just throw that guy into the lineup, uh, a even though he's an outfielder, he gives you insurance with Chris Bryant's situation because if he had to in the long term, if Chris or even uh, uh, even Russell with this thumb thing that's going on, if Avi has to shift and play shortstop or third base, then you can bring Hat, then it, it frees up the outfield to bring in Ian Happ or, or Ben Zobers to play second base long term, and you don't have to run. Kyle Schwarber in there day in day out. You can still you can still allow Joe to pick uh, the best situations for Kyle to hit and the best situations for Ian Happ to hit, to where he can kind of get the best out of those guys. Um, and also, Adam Jones gives you insurance in case uh, Jason Hayward turns into a pumpkin again. Mm-hmm. And I think I think I don't know that they'll do it, but I think they should. Yeah, that Adam Jones is good stuff because it seems like with guys having these little nagging injuries and if someone were to go down, that still allows Joe to coach like he wants to, moving guys around, giving guys time off, because that seems to be, I mean, I mean that's his thing, and a lot of that is what makes the Chicago Cubs team so good is how versatile it is. So to maintain that with a guy like Adam Jones who can be had for a really low cost – who right now is, isn't playing that great this year, provides a lot more value than what the numbers would suggest based on what you said, just because it still allows Joe to coach with that versatility, and that's where the Cubs thrive. So I love that idea, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, with this team, too, I mean, honestly, they only have two true outfielders uh, in Almora and Hayward. Yeah. Uh, all the guys they run in left field are infield, infielders or catchers or even, yeah. I mean, Schwarber's really yeah, a Schwarber and Hap, yeah, he to is. Play left field. You know, I mean, so every guy they're running out there in left field isn't a true, isn't a true outfielder. Yeah. So in the playoffs, uh, you're going to find yourself having someone – at the end of the game, playing left field who's not a left fielder. Yep, and you need that left uh, fielder. That makes me always think of Mark Burley's perfect game where Ozzie Guillen put um, Dwayne – I don't remember his name, but you know the catch I'm talking about where he made that perfect game-saving catch for Mark Burley. Right. Um, yeah. it's, it's stuff like that where just what you said, man, late in the game, you've got to have that defense in a one-two run game when you've got your closer in. So, I mean, if you're able to take uh, – you know, if, if you're able to just pop Adam Jones up there and left, Next to Al Mora and Jason Hayward, that's a it's a great defensive alignment mm-hmm. uh, in the outfield, uh, particularly in Wrigley, and that's you know that's that's the other benefit because people talk about how hard it is to play the outfield in Wrigley. Well, dimensionally, the outfield in Camden Yards is very similar. Mm. So, I, I I mean I honestly honestly, and I think you can get them. I don't. I don't think they're going to have to touch the top ten of their prospects in their system to get him. Mm-hmm. And I actually think they could probably get him for a few spare parts, uh, like an Alec Mills or a Sang or, you know, maybe uh, Dylan Maples. You don't want to have to do that, but if you had to, and if it, if it made it work, it makes it work. Um, but I think it, it just and like I said, it just gives you insurance. If some of your infielders actually have to be have to play infield because of injuries, I mean, 
as, as great as Tommy LaStella and David Bodie have been, you don't want to run those guys out there day in, day out Mm-mm. in the lineup every day. It just gives you insurance and it gives it, and it, and it allows you as far as your defensive linemen that when the crunch time happens, uh, you know, you know that you've got your best defensive alignment in the outfield out there. Um, like I said, I mean, I haven't heard any rumors at all. I mean, that's just com- completely out of the imagination of John Roberts. <laughs> but I do think that that's something that they should do. Uh, and maybe, you know, maybe if you had to spice the deal up a little bit and you could swing Brad Brock, um, whose value is going to be down a little bit because he struggled this year, and Adam Jones, whose value is down because he's on the way out. Uh, if you had to spice that offer up a little bit and you're able to get Adam Jones and Brad Brock, uh, and you're one stop shop and you're done. I think that, and I think that could have a huge impact, uh, as the season goes on, but even bigger, I think it has have an even, even bigger impact, uh, in October and in, in November. Yeah, that sounds like good stuff. And we'll find a lot of that out, I think maybe in the next couple of days. So we'll see what kind of moves that Theo Epstein does. And if I think John, what you said, we're going to have to do this again. We're going to have to record, Tuesday evening or Wednesday or something to really go over what is going to happen at the end of this thing. And the perfect analogy you said was like it was Christmas without the snow because you just never know when a gift wrap notification is going to pop up on your phone that tell you so-and-so went to this team. It is Christmas in July, the best time of the year. John, it was awesome oh, to yeah, have you well, on the show, man. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, you know, I think uh, as a Cubs fan, you look back and sometimes you find – or all this Chapman under the tree, uh, or sometimes you find no more Garcia par under the tree. And that's like that great toy that you're excited to get. And then you play with it and you find out it's junk. Um, <laughs> yeah. Give us the red or, rider BB and gun it, and we'll try not to shoot our eyes out, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Or, or sometimes you end up with Tommy Hunter under the tree and you're like, we're, uh, you're, um, Oh Lord, who is the uh, the starting pitcher they got back in 15 at the deadline? Dan Herring. Or you end up oh. with Dan Herring at the end you end up with Dan Heron in the bottom of the tree, and you're like, what? You got me socked? You got me socked? <laughs> yes. Like, you know, so we're going to see. I mean, is, is Theo going to give us a red rider, or is he going to give us socks? Let's, let's hope for the red rider, man. I'll shoot my eye out. I don't care. Let's bring the heat on. Dude, I, I'd be happy with an extra sketch. Absolutely. Seriously, I'd just be <laughs> I'd be happy with an extra That's right. All right, John, while I'll let you go, find John Roberts on Twitter at HeyTweetJohn for all of the super insightful, just really baseball stuff that you probably won't read anywhere, just like the Adam Jones take. Like, I think that's a huge – I think it's a phenomenal idea, and we'll see what happens over the next couple of days. But, John, it was awesome to talk to you, man, and thanks for being on the show. As always, man, thanks.